Another piece is like at the onset, almost treating the relationship with your co-man as if you were treating the relationship with an investor. Like you want to be pitching the, you know, the highest of decision makers and really selling them on your growth and your brand so that you have their buy-in and that when inevitably things get challenging, you know, uh, a manufacturer, like something goes wrong or they're deciding how to like divide line time. Like you want to make sure that they are thinking about your brand and wanting to invest there. So I would say definitely, you know, make sure that you're really building that relationship in a way where they're excited about the the future and the potential with your brand. This is C2C, where we cover innovation in the food and CPG business from conception to consumption. Welcome to this episode of C2C, everybody. Today, great guest uh, with a really neat company. Uh, my guest today is Vanessa Pham, who is co-founder of Omsom, a really cool company focused on the Asian food space. So, uh, Vanessa, welcome to the podcast. Yeah, Gary, thank you so much for having me. Excited to be here and tell our story. Yeah, terrific. So why don't we get started with your background? Tell tell our listeners how you got started in this crazy business. <laughs> yeah, for sure. So, um, you yeah, know, my, my background is really, honestly, you know, I am the daughter of Vietnamese refugees. And for my whole life, I feel like I so risk averse so it's so wild to say that now i run a company um and i'm a ceo and i'm 27 years old but um Hmm. i started my career as a management consultant at bain um there i focused on advising fortune 500 cpgs on their retail strategy and growth strategy um and then actually before that i ran an e-commerce business while i was a student at harvard had a lot of fun with that um and so kind of wanted to use my skills as a strategist across e-commerce, across CPG. Um, and really after a couple of years at Bain, while I was learning a ton, we felt like there was this, there was a, such a huge need for a brand in the mainstream grocery store that actually built products with cultural integrity and honored and celebrated the communities and cuisines represented. You know, looking at the world around us, we saw all this um, excitement and really this renaissance around Asian culture and Asian cuisines with like David Chang building his empire and crazy rich Asians selling out theaters and Netflix making all this original content on Asian food. But then we would go into the grocery store year after year and see this the same kind of set of sauces and jars and bottles with diluted flavors and really stereotypical branding like dragons and pandas and pagodas. And, you know, we were like, this needs to change. And we felt like we were the right people to build that brand. So that's great background, um, you know, immigration, great uh, academic background at Harvard, top minds at uh, at Bain Consulting. Um, so tell us about Amsom. Tell us about the company and, you know, what what are the aspirations and the mission and the strategy? Yeah. So Amsom is a loud and proud Asian food brand. And we exist to reclaim flavors that have been diluted far too long in the mainstream grocery store. Um, Our first product to market is a line of pantry shortcuts that allows you to make restaurant quality Asian dishes in under 20 minutes with just a handful of fresh ingredients that you can get at any grocery store. Um, So it really unlocks this whole new ability for consumers. And we partner with iconic Asian chefs for every cuisine that we have represented in our product line. 
because while you know I am technically Asian, I'm Vietnamese American, and I can't purport to be the expert on Korean food and Japanese food and Filipino food. So we actually partner with restaurant chefs that have built their careers in these respective cuisines. And really, the the vision for Amsam, while now we're you know we're making pantry shortcuts, the vision is to become the new authority in Asian food CPG. We feel like the brands that exist now largely produce flavors that are diluted and no longer meet the needs of consumers who have now been educated by restaurants across the country. Right. So Amsam is here to create products with cultural integrity to actually deliver on the flavors that consumers now know and love um, and do so in a way that puts a spotlight on Asian stories and, and elevates and highlights the multitudes within Asian culture. Mm. Well, it's always the big three, uh, convenience, taste, and price. It sounds like you just covered two. Um, you have any quick comments on price? Absolutely. I mean, you know, for us, to be a true household name, we definitely believe that you need to be accessible. Um, and so right now, our current product on a, like a per serving basis is just like a dollar or two. And I think hmm. that was really intentional. We really want to be able to be accessible to folks um, of all kind of socioeconomic backgrounds. And definitely as we're thinking about the future and our expansion into retail, that is something high up on our list of just making sure that we can be, you know, in homes of all kinds of Americans um, across the country. Yeah. Tell us about your expansion into retail. Looks like currently uh, consumers can go to Amsam and buy your great products online. But how about being in traditional retail? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I definitely think that's, you know, a huge part of our plan. We know that, you know, that's still where over 80, 90 percent of grocery decisions are made. Um, and so right now we are selling direct to consumer on our website where we can tell our full story, where we can build a direct relationship with our customers and, and build that loyal community that we know and love. Uh, but definitely looking to the future, retail is something that we are focusing on um, for sure in the next 12 months. And we've gotten you know some good excitement on that front. So, um, yeah, we're really excited about that. Good luck. Can't wait to see your product on, <laughs> on, on store shelves as well. Thank um, you. So, Vanessa, what you said a few minutes ago makes me believe that the Asian food sector is growing, uh, but I'm, I'm guessing it's also, like most sectors, a crowded sector. Everybody's fighting for mind space and shelf space. So how do you carve out your own successful niche? It's a great question. Um, you know, we have been inten really intentional from day one about cutting through the noise. That has been core to our strategy. And I think we've taken a really different approach than most other brands. Um, the way that we've approached it is to start with our ethos at everything that we do and really lead into that as the anchor of the brand. Um, and at Ensemble, our ethos is all about being loud and proud. Um, I think, you know, stereotypically, Folks view Asian Americans as maybe docile or submissive, um, and that's really why we defined our whole um, kind of energy that we want to bring is all about being noisy, rambunctious, riotous, and you can feel that in everything that we do and all the ways that we show up. Whether you're eating our products and tasting those uncompromised flavors, you're reading our social media, which is often educational, which has a lot of you know really vocal um, perspectives. 
Um, or you're looking at our website and you see all the moving pieces and all the bright colors, right? All of it comes together in a really cohesive way that is rooted in something emotional and something genuine to who we are and how we hope to change the world as a brand. Um, and I think ultimately that's what allows us to be so resonant as a brand culturally and emotionally and personally. Um, and so, yeah, I, we, we invest in all kinds of things as it relates to content storytelling and brand um, and do so in a way that is really rooted in who we are and what we stand for. You know, and you can even see it in the packaging, the colors and, you know, yeah. the, you know, it's like, bam, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's what we're that's what we're going for. So you must think a lot about the space that you're in and you must think a lot about the ever changing mindset of the consumer. So tell us your thoughts. Uh, share with our listeners macro trends. You know, what's what do you think the big ones are out there? You know, authenticity, health, convenience, new experiences. Uh, you know, what do you think's going on out there? Yeah. Yeah, there's a couple things. Um, definitely um, credibility is a huge one, um, especially in the space that we're in, which is, you know, we're representing um, a cuisine and a, a flavor profile and a community in some sense. Um, and, and we've actually done a lot of research on this of what really matters for brands like ours that are in this space. And we've heard time and again that consumers care about, you know, quote unquote authenticity. And so we asked them, what do you mean when you say like, oh, I want this to be really authentic? And what they really, what they really were looking for is a brand that is credible. And so we pushed them, what does that mean to you? And they said that they want to see brands that are actually including the right people in the room in developing the products. And they want to see brands that are centering and speaking to a community that actually has the authority in saying whether or not this is a good product. And so for us, you know, it's always been core to our mission to do right by the Asian American community. Um, and we always, you know, center them in everything that we do. And I think at the root of our credibility is that, is that evangelist community. Just like, you know, with RX Bar, um, you know, having that weightlifting community at the root of their kind of brand origin story. Um, for us, it's a similar, similar thing. You know, you can't really build a brand with, uh, with credibility if you don't have people and an evangelist community that's substantiating that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I remember uh, seeing a presentation by the founder of RX Bar, and uh, he talked about how he was very active, you know, cycling and, and so on, and uh, always wanting to, you know, find the right kind of bar for him and saying, you know, he'd go to the the shelf and look at all the options and say, why are they all crap? <laughs> and right, so, right. Um, you know, that was an interesting origin story. So, so th there's Vanessa, there's so many challenges, uh, going from startup to, uh, to successful company. Let's, let's move into discussing, you know, some of those challenges now. Um, mm -hmm. you know, with, um, um, if, you know, if you look back, uh, at some of the challenges you hit, you know, Tell our listeners about them and tell, tell you know, them, if you had a time machine, how you might have done things differently. Yeah, oh my gosh, so many challenges. And honestly, it's hard to say, like, you know, I would have really done it differently because I learned something really important from every single one of those things, you know. And, and now going into the future, I feel better prepared to tackle the upcoming challenges. But, 
Yeah, I mean, we face so many challenges from, I mean, we launched, for one, we launched in May of 2020, which was the start of the pandemic, when people were like, this is going to last two more weeks, and other people were like, this is going to last years, you know, there was no visibility, um, and at the time, we had so many people in our ears saying, oh my gosh, don't launch now, you know, wind everything down, and other people saying like, okay, you should just go for it, and, and you know, I think at the time, uh, it, it was really hard. We were listening. We talked to like 20 different people and we didn't know what to do. Um, but ultimately we decided to listen to our gut and I'm really glad we did. But I think in general, there's many times in my journey where I feel like I wasted a lot of time just like trying to de-risk so much because I was scared to make a decision. And as a first time founder, it, it's really tempting to want to over-engineer things, want to like just hope, can you just like you know, keep going further, asking more questions, boiling the ocean to see if you can mm. find one data point to just almost like take the burden of decision making off of you. Um, and my sister and my co-founder, one of her really incredible talents is having such a strong connection to her gut and her instinct. And I think that that's something that I'm trying to hone in on. And I, I if I could go back and, you know, Kind of make some of those decisions more quickly like so that i could move quickly um and not and be a little bit more biased towards execution i think that i would have um and i'm still i'm still working on that skill trusting mm. myself mm. It's, i guess it's about focus and priorities and things like that right priorities and 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 building a, a muscle to listen to your gut mm. Mm. having the courage to do that Honestly, yeah. I think it was Peter Drucker said, uh, show me a successful company and uh, I'll show you a time when somebody made a courageous decision. Mm. Wow, I love that. So so you touched on it. May 2020, you know, we're in the early days of the pandemic. Uh, we're still <laughs> dealing with it. And, you know, I think maybe the phrase of the year for Webster should be supply chain disruptions. Uh, tell us, has, <laughs> has, has that affected your business? Without a doubt. Uh, we've had several challenges as it relates to supply chain. I think the one that, you know, the whole industry is definitely facing, or actually all of these to some degree, uh, but one is, you know, seeing delays um, and shortages on labor and ingredients. So whether that's with, you know, at a manufacturing facility with our third party logistics partner, seeing those labor shortages, slowing everything down for us, um, kind of not allowing us to be nimble and meet demand. Uh, and then which is why we sold out 10 times, uh, which has been, you know, obviously really amazing. And we've gotten a lot of press and that's definitely driven that. Uh, but at the same time, it's like, OK, well, our supply chain can't move quickly enough to meet this demand, you know. Um, and then, of course, the other piece that everybody's really feeling is this in is increased cost of goods sold. Um, you know, many brands have been forced to increase prices. I think as a young brand, we feel like it's absolutely critical to try to maintain reasonable price points since we're trying to drive trial and acquisition. Right. And mm -hmm. so to combat these increased costs, we really felt some pressure to scale more quickly or try to realize those economies of scale to offset those increased prices. But that's not something, you know, you can just do overnight. So um, it's definitely been a challenge trying to uh, figure out where we want to optimize. Is, is it in terms of efficiency or is it in terms of growth and, and being accessible to new customers? 
So many startups uh, have to deal with a very common challenge, which, you know, they're happy with their product, with their packaging. You know, they've figured out a lot of questions. Now they have to manufacture at scale. And, of course, so many of them go the route of a co-man. Um, is that the route you went? And can you tell us about your experiences and challenges and solutions in that area? Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, you know, just given how expensive it, it, it would be to set up your own facility, like how capitally intensive that would be, I think most startup brands definitely um, find contract manufacturing as a viable route. And for us, we that's the route that we went. Um, and we also did look into like a commissary kitchen to get started and all of that. But ultimately, with our format being a pouch, that just really wasn't, there's not like machines that do that in the commissary kitchen. So, um, yeah, so that's the route that we went and yeah, no, without a doubt, it's been definitely really challenging and a whole new learning curve. Um, I would say, you know, some of the challenges are just, you know, with COVID was like quality control, like, you know, we can't necessarily be there on the floor on every, on every run. So like, how do we do that? So we had to have our co-man FaceTime us in, overnight us samples at every production we're cooking them you know all the time especially as we're doing smaller runs to get started um and so there's a ton of extra work around quality control there um management of inventory is really challenging especially if you're um well for us we have a ton of specialty ingredients you know so us figuring out like how do we how do we manage this in an efficient way and make sure and have visibility into loss of, of raw materials and things like that. Some of the things that have worked well for us um, in terms of problem solving on this front, I would say instituting weekly calls with your co-man, that's really important for just like really building the relationship, um, being a little bit more hands-on and making sure they're feeling supported and, and making sure that you can problem solve on the weekly basis, I think is critical. Um, Another piece is like at the onset, almost treating the relationship with your co-man as if you were treating the relationship with an investor. Like you want to be pitching the, you know, the highest of decision makers and really selling them on your growth and your brand so that you have their buy-in and that when inevitably things get challenging, you know, uh, a manufacturer, like something goes wrong or they're deciding how to like divide line time. Like you want to make sure that they are thinking about your brand and wanting to invest there. So I would say definitely, you know, make sure that you're really building that relationship in a way where they're excited about the the future and the potential with your brand. Yeah. So you, it sounds like your worldview was to really build a, a relationship and a partnership with them and, and not deal with them as, hey, let's negotiate with an adversary. Absolutely. I find that in operations that pretty much never works, especially food operations. It's such a challenging, never mind like COVID making it all the more challenging, but for everybody, it's never like, it's not an easy thing. So much goes wrong with perishable goods, with food that needs to be consumed, with like obviously like the highest level of quality control, right? And so I think in with, and also just being a small brand in this environment, like you are competing to get a co-man. Like it's not like the, the supply demand is way off, right? So like you really want to build strategic partners and view them as extensions of your brand. And like for us, we see them as a part of the Ansem family. 
I'm here with Vanessa Pham, who is co-founder of Amsom. Um, let's talk about let's talk about the people side of success, and particularly innovation. When when you think about all the innovation that's had to occur to make your company successful, you know what are what are what are the key qualities you see in in folks? Uh, you know their talents and their mindsets that uh, mm. characterize top innovators. Yeah. Um, well, I would say two different things. So on one hand, you know, I, I think there's this broad idea like uh, that I'm around bringing more diverse innovators to the table. So for example, you know, back in 2018, when we were starting to talk about Omsom and we were, you know, we pitched it to Mars and we ended up being in their accelerator that was when we started talking about the future of Asian America and Asian American culture, flavors and stories being like, you know, at the that something that would be at the forefront of American culture. And I would say back then, folks were like, oh, really? Are you sure? Like, I don't know. That feels really niche. You know, people were like, I don't, I don't really I think that's really only relevant to a very small audience. Fast forward. Now it's 2022. Uh, fast forward three, four years. And we're seeing that play out across media, across the hospitality industry, um, across Hollywood, and also across um, food and beverage. And, you know, I think part of what allows for innovation is unique and diverse perspectives. And, you know, that I think for us, we were able to see that because we were living it, you know, as Asian Americans, we were seeing our our stories being really starting to be valued on a, on a level that they deserve. Um, and so I really always am advocating for that. Um, and as you know, a founder myself, I now am like making sure I dedicate time to like mentor um, other BIPOC creators and founders myself. And then the second piece I would say to your question um, around mindsets that allow for innovation. So I'm really lucky because I have a very clear window into this because my sister, who is also my co-founder, is, I think, an incredible innovator and incredible creative. She's so talented. And I've been reflecting a lot on how, how you know, what allows her to be that way? How is, she, how is she that way? And there's so many things that make her her. But one thing that I've really observed um, is that she is able to turn off her outcomes-driven mindset. So what do I mean by this? So think about someone like me. I used to be a consultant. I'm very analytical, right? I'm always working backwards from what is the desired goal and how do we get there? And in some ways, that can be a superpower. Like when I'm fundraising, right? Like that, that really helps me because I can really work backwards from like our five-year plan, our three-year plan, and, and paint the picture of how we get there. But when you're being innovative, when you're being creative, you need to take down those walls and those boxes that stifle your ability to actually put something original out into the world. And so I have witnessed her ability to do this, and I think it is an incredible um, talent. And it's actually something I'm really trying to, to um, you know, build in my own toolkit. But let me tell you, it is really hard. <laughs> mm. Mm. I guess that ties into things like the long view and, you know, not being worried about uh, short-term failures and things like that, right? Uh, absolutely, yeah. Like, you know, I, I, like what I would do is, like, shut down so many paths because I'm like, oh, it won't work for this reason or that reason. 
you know, because I'm, I'm thinking about, I'm playing all out all the ways that things could go wrong, but she looks at it very differently from a place of just like possibility and wonder. And that's really where innovation I believe comes from. Mm -hmm. So let's talk about success and failure in innovation. Can, can you, you know, can you share any personal stories on both sides of the ledger? Hmm. Yeah. So, I mean, in terms of, uh, let's see, in terms of failure around innovation, Hmm, I think, I mean, I, I personally feel like I fail with innovation all the time, um, in, in, you know, in brainstorming with the team, I, I think because I am so driven by those outcomes, I am always trying to turn off that mindset around, you know, is this, is this viable? Is this viable? Um, and so that's, that's an area where I feel like, you know, we, I push myself to try to put fresh ideas out into the world and, and that sometimes falls short. In terms of successes, I think it's all about taking risk. I think the areas that you know we've seen success with our innovation is one area is in, in our content that we create. Um, and so one of the biggest ways that I've seen our team do that is by stopping the practice of always looking around at what everybody else is doing. Like I know in the CP and CPG industry, you know, obviously there's always this practice of like, what's your competitive set, what's happening in your category, what's working, what's not. And like, you know, that's definitely something that needs to happen, especially when it comes to like product innovation. Like I definitely understand that. Um, but I do think in other areas, specifically marketing, always looking around can really dilute your ability to be innovative. Um, and so I, I'm really encouraging of the team to continue, you know, just focusing on our North Star, focusing on our mission and vision and really creating from that place versus looking at our peers constantly. It seems like such common sense. If you're always focused on your competition and you're chasing them, how could you ever be unique and innovative, right? But yet right. it seems like so many people make that critical mistake. Absolutely, yeah. I, I see it again and again. <laughs> yeah. So, so as you look to continue the, the, the journey of Amsam, whether it's growing the company or launching new products or launching into new distribution channels, um, what are some of the big speed bumps uh, that you see to, uh, to all those things? Yeah. You know, I think a lot of it is, you know, really getting the rest of the industry to catch up. You know, there's, um, there's a lot of folks that are in positions of power, um, in this industry. Some, you know, could broadly call them kind of like gatekeepers, but you know, folks that have, have the, the keys to the resources, um, whether that be investors or buyers or, um, yeah, folks that decide who gets what and access to what. And I think, you know, I really hope to see this industry continue to evolve and, and catch up with, you know, how the world is changing and, and start to map the way that they deploy their resources to that and what I believe are really the demands of consumers today and what they will be in the future tomorrow and beyond. Um, and so, you know, whether it's investors feeling like Asian flavors and Asian companies are too niche, 
um, or, or buyers feeling that as well. You know, that's where I continue to push back and hope Onsom really can be an example of what's possible. And, and that's definitely one of my own missions. I actually do some work on the side. Um, I'm part of this group called the New American Table. Um, and there's a lot of really great industry folks in there, um, like Errol Schweitzer, who um, used to be at Whole Foods, and then Chloe Sorvino, who is a writer on FNB at Forbes, um, and, and some other really great folks in the industry. And we're working together to really help increase that kind of um, equality and access to resources across all types of founders and, and BIPOC founders specifically. Excellent. So what can you share what's next for you and for and for Amsam? Oh, my gosh. So much is happening at our small but growing company. Uh, we are a mighty uh, small but mighty team and we're growing. So definitely really excited. Some bigger hires coming up this year. Uh, really excited to start to actually build out a sales team to, um, like I said, enter into grocery in that retail space. Um we are working on, you know, some innovation, which is really exciting. So nothing I can share in good in great detail, but you'll definitely see all of this come out soon. Um, and then lastly, we've been really excited and thankful to have all the great partnerships that we have. This past year, we launched partnerships with Disney and with Instant Pot, uh, which have been amazing. But looking to the future, definitely excited to have some more um, launch some more partnerships with other household names. Yeah, well, well, good. We're, we're, we're rooting for you, and we'll be on the lookout for exciting news. Um, for folks who've been listening to this podcast today who are professionals in the CPG innovation space, what's the best way for them to uh, connect with you, uh, you know, on professionally or LinkedIn or what have you? Yeah, absolutely. A couple of ways. So um, you can absolutely find me on LinkedIn, but I think the best way – um, is actually on my, on my personal website. That's where like everything's linked out, including my LinkedIn and my Instagram and all that. Um, so that is Vanessa T fam.com. And actually I do bi-monthly office hours where I set aside time, 45 minutes and anybody can join and ask me anything, you know, related to, you know, their venture, their challenges, their career, um, and I, I do that every two months and anybody can sign up on my website and it, it's all, it's been a really amazing opportunity for founders to meet each other, honestly, even through the office hours and a lot of great relationships and connections have come out of that. So definitely, um, uh, if you're interested, join for one of those, you can sign up on my website. Excellent. Well, I'm really glad you do that because, you know, when entrepreneurs and founders support each other, uh, amazing things can happen. Without a doubt, we need it. <laughs> and 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 for folks interested in your products, it's omsom.com, right? Absolutely, omsom.com. O m s o m.com. Excellent. Um, so, you know, Vanessa, I ask everybody the same uh, same question. Uh, what advice would you give to two different sets of folks? First, uh, innovators who are already in the CPG space, maybe maybe even working for a large company. And second, new people just starting their careers in this space. Yeah, absolutely. So when it comes to innovators who are already in the space, one of the things I've really encouraged folks to do is step back and take a look at who they're surrounding themselves with in their career. I feel like all the time people take this kind of critical eye to who they spend time with, 
in their personal life, but they don't do it professionally as much. They kind of take it for granted. But I really believe that who you surround yourself with, who you allow to influence your mindset, how you value your work, um, what you think is um, aspirational versus not really influences you and can really change your day-to-day -day experience of what you strive for and, and what makes you feel fulfilled at the end of the day. So I would really encourage you to take a look and say, hey, do these people align with my values? Does this company align with my values? Um, is this, you know, is my boss, for example, somebody that I really want to learn from and emulate and, you know, have the courage to make a change if not? I think, you know, oftentimes we feel stuck where we are and that's, you know, really never the case. There's so much opportunity, especially in this market. Um, so I really encourage that. And then to somebody potentially starting a career uh, in this space, I would say, you know, it is a tough industry. It's not easy. The margins are slim. There's a lot of competition. Um, the supply chains are tough, but that is why I really encourage everybody to get super clear on what is their North Star from day one. I think, you know, especially for founders, but really anybody um, who wants to feel deeply fulfilled in their work, I think doing the upfront work of really understanding what motivates you, what change you want to see in the world and what you want to throw your weight behind and making decisions with that as a key input can really change the game for the day-to-day -day experience of, of coming to work and, you know, putting, putting your talents, your energy and your time into something that's aligned with your innermost values. Advice. I'd like to thank my guest, Vanessa Pham, who is uh, co-founder of Omsom. Check it out, omsom.com. Neat products. And um, thanks so much for being on the podcast. Thanks for listening to C2C, where we cover innovation in the food and CPG business from conception to consumption. Just type the letters C-T-O-C, no spaces, to find us on iTunes, Stitcher, Podbeam, and Google Play.